3: Welcome to a brand new week of Tape Heads, where we crawl behind the X's and O's on this podcast, give you the football stuff that football nerds love like us. Bob Lischusen, longtime voice of the Jets, and also a college football voice on ESPN. Dan Orlovsky, the master of the touchscreen, breaks the plays down on NFL Live on ESPN, also calls college football with me It is his spare time when he decides to slum it a bit on the weekends. And of course, Scott Pioli, longtime NFL general manager and part of the Patriots group that put together all of those championship teams. And... Guys, let's start off with a team that we all thought was probably going to be the favorite to be the champion again this year, to run it back from two years ago. And boy, have there been some bumps in the road for the Kansas City Chiefs. And I don't know if the Chiefs are really putting those bumps in the road behind them. I don't know if a low-scoring win over the Cowboys counts as, hey, we're good. We're now back in the left lane and we've got it on cruise control because their offense Still doesn't look like that vintage Chiefs offense that won the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. Maybe their defense has started to figure things out. I mean, Dan, what did you see this game, if you're a Chiefs fan, just kind of behind the X's and O's that gives you some belief that maybe they're turning the corner and moving in the right direction?
4: Yeah, the the encouragement of the performance from the defense and mainly the defensive line. You know, I think the things that stood out about this football game were one, our defensive coordinator, Steve Spagnolo, had a really good plan and he was going up against an offensive coordinator and Kellen Moore. That Kellen's really good, you know, and Kellen's going to be a head coach soon. And I love the fact that, you know, part of this is the injuries that Dallas had, you know, I mean, the, the reality of Amari Cooper being out for their offense is significant because I think once that happened, Spag's, changed his mind and he said we are going to play up in their face at the line of scrimmage we are going to challenge those receivers and we're going to play man coverage and we are going to commit to you know making them try to run the football against numbers that aren't in their favor and I I love the fact that on first down spags called a bunch of run blitzes you know in football we often talk blitz and only tie it to the pass game and i thought spags did a really good job of on first down thinking okay kellen on the road they're still going to commit to running the football let's call these run pressures and they were blitzing what they were doing two different things guys they they would blitz if the ball was on a certain hash they would blitz off the field off the kind of the the open end of the formation, and then everybody on that defensive line could slant, and that's a run blitz, and so it shut down the run. If the ball was in the middle of the field, they actually triggered both edges, and so the defensive line condensed. And really what that did was create a butterfly effect. They'd win first down, they that the Cowboys couldn't run the football. Then it becomes second and obvious or third and obvious passing situations. So I loved that. The second thing that I loved that he did was He made sure in those passing situations, he got Chris Jones in those one-on-ones. And it was really just, it's simple stuff. They would walk a linebacker up into the line of scrimmage. Bob, you know this, Scott, you know this. And, you know, the offensive line's got to go 5-0, 5-0. Just like, you know, when the police are coming, they got to go one-on-one, right? You know, I got this guy, you got, and and then Chris Jones gets those one-on-one pass rushes, And Chris was dominant. And then also, he I think he really intimidated Dak Prescott and the Cowboys' offense with, hey, here comes Blitz, and they drop out. And they forced Dak on three or four times to think pressure was coming. Dak would go into the line of scrimmage, try to change to a screen because he thought all these Blitzers were coming, and then they would drop out, and the, the Chiefs knew the screen was going to happen. So I really think the, the, the smarts by the defense was was really good, and um, it forced Bad communication by Dallas's offense. They couldn't run the football, even though I I do believe that they tried to a little bit. And then Chris Jones was the best player on the field.
5: Chris Jones was far and away the best player on the field. You know, he we know how good he is. We know how good he can be. But to watch him at times when he lined up over Zach Martin, right? You talked, talked about the one-on-one matchups. And he lined up over Zach Martin, who to me is the best guard or one of the best guards yeah. in the entire National Football League. And just got it done. I mean, three and a half sacks, two tackles for loss, another three quarterback hits. I think they were concerned about him all day because the one-on-one matchups that he had, again, he was a force. And it's funny, you know, I remember seeing him when he was an underclassman. Dan Mullen had me talk to him one day uh, before practice at Mississippi State. And Dan said, listen, this guy is going to be an incredible player. He's trying to figure out whether or not he's coming out early or not. And I remember talking with him and then watching him. uh, Again, he wasn't a guy that was on the radar, but then I watched him in practice that day. And when I tell you he dominated in practice and his twitch, his quickness, Mm -hmm. his natural explosiveness, that was all on display this past week against Dallas Cowboys. And if Zach Martin has a problem blocking someone, Anybody, anybody, and everybody in the league is going to have a problem, you know, blocking him. I think Dan, you you mentioned the absence of Amari Cooper. I mean, it was without a doubt a factor in that. Mm-hmm. But I also think CD Lamb and him not being, um, you know, there for the full game and not being a hundred percent was an issue. Yeah. I mean, the 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 targets, and then later on in the game, Zeke Elliott, you know, got that ankle rolled, which looked a lot worse than I, I can't believe he he was standing afterwards and came back but he wasn't the same player so there were a lot of issues on the offense but i'm not going to put it on the issues of the injuries because the chiefs just played like like we know that the chiefs defense some of those individuals can play then on the flip yeah. side you know watching patrick mahomes it wasn't great i get that but what he wasn't doing was some of the stuff that we talked about earlier. You know, mm-hmm. Bob and Dan, all three of us were saying earlier on, okay, what's wrong with the Chiefs? What's wrong with the Chiefs? Our answer was, you know, they're they're doing a couple of things that they need to get right, but they're still a really good football team and an incredibly talented football team. Yeah. I think all three of us felt that it was going to start to come along, and I think we may have seen them start to turn the corner here.
1: Well,
4: I, I think for the Chiefs' offense, I think two of the things that – you're encouraged by, I'm not saying these, these issues are fixed, but you're encouraged by one. Right? It looked like the play calling of old. I will say that. Like the play calling looked more rhythmic. It looked more balanced. It looked more creative. It looked more rhyme and reason. I had said for weeks, it just felt like they were calling plays, throwing stuff against the wall and hoping it stuck. I also like the fact that they used some motion to create some advantages in their pass game. A couple times the Tyree kill on third downs, the corner route to Pringle. I think Patrick mechanically has gotten better. You guys know that I harped on that for weeks. He was so, he had gotten so bad mechanically and he looks like that's become an emphasis. Um, I will say this, one play that stood out for me for their offense was the interception by Jaron Curse for the Cowboys. The reason it stands out for me was the effort that Patrick Mahomes and Byron Pringle showed on that play. Kelsey drops it, it becomes an interception, and Curse is there. And I would encourage everybody to go back and watch this play because what happens is Curse gets the interception and starts to run. Now Pringle is actually running a route, and right when he turns and sees that it's been an interception, he's about a yard behind one of the Cowboys defenders. And what you see is Curse starts to take off, and he just has this... Heart of a champion effort where I'm going to go chase, and he beats the Cowboys defender to curse. Now, Patrick Mahomes comes flying out of nowhere, throws his body at the tackle, and everyone says, Don't do that as a quarterback. I love the fact that he does it. We understand, you know, it's a your teammates are killing themselves, you know, and he slows curse just down a little bit, and all of a sudden, you see Pringle. With more effort than anybody to go make that tackle. And I don't I truly think if he doesn't make that tackle, Curse is gonna score. Now that possession becomes a field goal for the Cowboys offense. And that play for me, like just imagery wise, it showed me one of the differences in that football game. I really believe that the Chiefs played with the effort of a champion, the
3: effort of a champion. And I don't think that was matched by the Dallas Cowboys as a football team. Do we think the Dallas Cowboys are a champion? I mean, Scott, to your point, like, do they have to have their full complement of offensive weapons to be the Cowboys? Or schematically, like, how much does their season change if they go even a couple of weeks without those two big receivers?
5: I think they're a good football team that at times is very good. But, like, we're seeing so many other teams around the league. This is as inconsistent as I've seen the league and all of the teams in the league, including the best teams in the league. And, you know, it's funny, as we talked about at the beginning of the season, when we jump on some of these teams that get off to a hot start and we're like, eh, let's tap the brakes a little bit. You know, midseason or that second quarter of the season, eh, let's tap the brakes a little bit. And I think the Cowboys are one of those teams. And, you know, we know that they have talent. They have talent enough to win the division, clearly win the division. They have enough talent to win the NFC, yeah. but they're up and down. And that's been a consistent that's been a consistent thing about the Cowboys over the years, I, but it, it, this is league wide this year, and mm-hmm. it's it, it's as balanced a season and inconsistent a season as I've seen, if that makes any sense. But and the Cowboys, yeah. I, I
3: mean, are that to a T. Yep. That the how the season evolves. To that point, and what I want to talk about next, staying in this division, you're right. The Cowboys are going to win this division. They got a three-game lead. We're past the midway point of the season. Hard to imagine they are not going to win this division, but I told you guys last week there was a team coming, (laughs) and that team that's kind of found its identity is the Philadelphia Eagles. I think they could be really, really dangerous as we go kind of past the the two-thirds point of the season. We're going to talk about what has flipped for the Eagles and... What a performance by the Colts against the Bills, a physical performance by the Colts against the Bills, to say the least. We're going to touch on the, the, uh, the dominance of Jonathan Taylor as well as the run games took over in a couple of these spots in the NFL when we come back on Tape
0: You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring
1: So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where
3: America goes to hire. Welcome back to Tapeheads, Bob Wischusen, Dan Orlovsky, Scott Pioli. How about the Philadelphia Eagles taking it to the New Orleans Saints on the ground with Jalen Hurts? Boy, looking like he looked in college, and that is something that Nick Sirianni sounded pretty proud of after the game was over.
4: I think Jalen Jalen is a special uh, player that forces defenses to play different, um, you know. And so, you know, you look at the tape, and, and again, I, I think I told you guys early in the week that you know, you, you look at the stats, you look at where they are, you look at their defense, but you also want to do what you do well. And so, you know, we know we've been running the ball well, and it just it's a little different when Jalen's in there. And so, you know, you try to look at some teams that they've played that are, are similar to that. Um, but you want to make them stop that what you do well first, and, and that's definitely what we our goal was uh going out there.
3: All right, guys, we talked about this last week, and I really thought that this was the linchpin game for the Eagles potentially making a run. I mean, the rest of their season, at least the next month, they're basically playing the Giants, the Jets, and the Washington football team. Now they get a win at home over arguably the best run defense in the National Football League, and they go out and hang about two fifty on them on the ground. You guys just talked about the the Chiefs in the previous segment, about how football and a football season can be almost an evolutionary process, right? Like you can find things out about your team and tweak game plans and change your play calling and maybe play to strengths that you didn't even realize would be those types of strengths as you get deeper into a season. Have the Eagles now found themselves and the kind of team they know they need to be with Jalen Hurts at quarterback because they seem to be executing, at least on the ground, a college football-looking, Baltimore (laughs) Ravens-looking game plan with with the way that they run it with Jalen Hurts. They look unstoppable right now. I think as a football team, Bob, absolutely. Um, It reminds me of
4: Lincoln Riley in Oklahoma years ago with Jalen Hurts. Honestly, I think what Nick Sirianni and his staff have realized is we have one of the three best offensive lines in football. We have one of the three best tackles, right tackle and centers in football. Yes. And I always say this as coaches, you got to figure out who you're not before you ever know who you are. And I think what they've realized through some failure, through some tough times in the early part of the season, who, who they are not offensively. And that's really individualized and team-wise. So Jalen Hurts is not some pick you apart drop back quarterback. Just is not who he is. Devontae Smith is not some let's get the ball in his hands quickly type of player. Dallas Goddard is not a tight end that you want to use as a um a, a piece, so to speak. So I think what they've realized is we're gonna we're gonna run our offense through our, our big fellas on our offensive line. We're gonna use Kelsey as a weapon. I think that what they've realized with Devontae Smith is he gets better the longer he gets into his routes. You know, they got to allow him to get 12... 15 18 20 yards downfield that's when he's at his best when it comes to route running Dallas Goddard is just a big bodied tight end that you can throw the ball to downfield because he does he has got that basketball sense almost like a rebounder and Jalen Hurts is a guy that you you get to play at 11 on 11 football with and when you do that it opens up so much more for their offense I think that The thing that I love about them that they've started to go to is they've gone to a formation that has become very difficult to defend. When When they get into their three by O, so three receivers one side and tight end attached to one of their offensive tackles backside, their zone read run game out of that, whether the back is in the pistol to the left of the quarterback, to the right of quarterback, they've got so many plays out of that one formation, both run and pass. I think it's become one of the more difficult formations and play groupings to defend. And they're doing an outstanding job of putting defenses in really difficult situations with their run game. They're pulling Jason Kelsey a lot, and that's allowed him to be athletic on the perimeter. And Jalen Hurts just continues to play better and better. And the last thing I'd say is this. I like the fact that their defense has become less cushion, more aggressive. They have become a more aggressive defense. And I think Darius Slay has put his name into the defensive player of the year conversation because they're allowing him just to play man-to-man coverage and that's what he's best at.
5: You know, Dan, you mentioned their offense and as we know we, they rushed what 240 something this year uh this weekend and ran the ball 50 times and you mentioned Jason Kelsey and I can't tell you how much I love watching him play. Loved him coming out of college mm-hmm. too because of his athleticism and what he's done over the years is he's always had good leverage, but he's created, or he has somehow gotten a little bit more body density, right? Where he can, he just has that core strength now where he can twist and turn things. But when you have a center that you can pull with or a center that can reach the front side, play side, three technique, which is the outside shoulder of the guard, Yeah, your running game completely changes. And I go back mm-hmm. to some of the really, really good players. And all those years I spent as a pro personnel director and then uh, director player personnel, watching the best centers in the league and going back and watching a guy like Kevin Mawai. People always thought that Kevin was undersized. Kevin was light, but he didn't play light. The other thing that Kevin could do because of his quickness, his speed, his initial suddenness, he could reach any three technique in the league. Any three technique in the league. I mean, as long as they weren't, you know, uh, in a game or a stunt, he could reach the front side three technique. And that's what Jason Kelsey can do. When you can get your center to get that far, and when you're running the ball It changes the entire dynamic. And as we watch the Eagles improving, you know, we're watching some of these teams rising right now. Some of these teams that are doing things, and we talked about this the last couple of weeks, the teams that are establishing the running game. When you can run the ball in November and December, it's going to be different, right? We watched Mm. Joe Mixon this past weekend rush for over 120. Jonathan Taylor, you know, an indoor football team, talking about the Indianapolis Colts in Buffalo, Dalvin Cook you know, 25 touches for a buck 15, because three receptions and then watching the Eagles be able to run the ball and the threat of Jalen Hurts and the offensive line. This is why we're seeing the Eagles, as Bob loves to hear him called, make a difference right now. They can run the football and you talk about their defense. They are a team that's evolving. I also want to tap the brakes here a little bit because I get excited when we talk about these teams that can run the ball let's understand who they are and where they are. I mean, I don't think this is a team that's going to run the table and we're going to see them in Los Angeles, you know, in February, but this is an improving football team.
3: Yeah. Well, I want to rev you back up. I want to get you to not tap the brakes. Step on the gas because there's another team out there running the ball, and that is the Indianapolis Colts.
6: First and goal for the Colts, down to about a minute to go. The ball is at the one-yard line. The Colts lead 31-7 to under center. Carson Wentz. Hey, he's going to turn, give off to Jonathan Taylor. Stood up at the one, falls forward. There's
3: five of them. Number five, Jonathan Taylor has failed the end zone five times in the game. Five touchdowns for Jonathan Taylor. And, guys, you know what I love about this game? I love about the Eagles game. I love, Scott, about those Jet teams that you were a part of with Curtis Martin at the end of the 90s, and even the Jet teams that Rex Ryan coached. You know, there's this idea. We spend so much time talking about fantasy football and PPR and the quarterbacks slinging it all over the place. and, And I get it. That's what makes up the highlight tapes. But for guys like us, like a podcast like this, I love the fact that there are teams out there that can still go out and just kick your butt physically and win that way. If I would have told you guys that the Colts were going to go into Orchard Park and throw for 106 yards and blow the Bills out, I mean, a non-competitive game. I don't know that anybody would have said Carson Wentz could have a totally undynamic game, and yet they could win that way. And yet 185 yards rushing for Jonathan Taylor. And look at these numbers, 5.8 yards Mm -hmm. per carry. Naeem Hines, Even on the four carries he had, 7.8 yards per carry. Carson Wentz scrambled a couple of times for 18 yards, 9 yards per carry. So the top three guys in a team that ran for close to 300 yards in the game all averaged against the Bills in their building about 6.5 yards to 7 yards per carry. I mean, is this team going to be able to kind of be the AFC version now? of the Eagles and just go out and say, look, this is what we are. As long as Quentin Nelson's ankle is okay, we are going to just come downhill at you and beat you up with a great running back and win that way.
5: The Colts are that right now because that's what they have to be. You know, we've talked about this before. Carson Wentz, the last two weeks, has not been spectacular. They've got a really good head coach in Frank Wright who knows what they are and he knows what they aren't. What they are is they're smart and they're disciplined. They run the ball and they do things right because they have to. You're looking at a team that has the third fewest penalties in the national football league, talking about the Colts, Mm -hmm. and they're second best in the NFL in penalty differential. What that means is the number of penalties they have versus their opponents from week to week they are number two in the National Football League. And that matters. That matters to me more than overall penalties. Then you're looking at a team that's number one in the league in terms of turnover differential. They're smart. They're clean. Carson once again, is they're, they're keeping him in a space where he's not losing the games for him. When Carson's put in a situation to do some things that can lose the game, unfortunately, they've seen that that happens. So now they give the ball to Jonathan Taylor He's leading the NFL in rushing. They've got the fourth best rush offense in the entire National Football League. And, you know, Bob, you brought up this point, and I think it's a great point. It's so important to be able to run the ball. Again, I get fantasy football. I get the passing game. All that stuff is really important and really good. You still have to be able to run the ball or be the threat of running the ball in the National Football League. And I'm not talking about 100 years ago. I look at the, Kyle Shanahan You know, when he was with us in Atlanta. Part of the reason we were able to go to that Super Bowl, even though we lost to the Patriots, was because we could run the ball with Tevin Coleman and Devontae Freeman we ran the ball which opened up the passing game you look at Kyle's team that went to the Super Bowl in San Francisco they ran the ball good football teams that are going to be consistent football teams they can't be just one trick ponies
4: yeah so I went into this game and I thought it was the best matchup of the weekend the Colts run game versus the Bills run defense I think the Bills have one of the best run defenses in football I think Mm -hmm. it's Going into this game, I thought it was the most gap sound, meaning every guy's where he's supposed to be gap-wise and rule-wise in the NFL. And then I said the Colts had the best double teams in the NFL. Like The Colts bring double teams for days, man, in their run game. It is double team after double team. And I just was going to be fascinated with the matchup. And one of the things that I walked away from the game having a greater appreciation was how good Frank Reich is in the run game. Yeah. And how good the Colts tight ends are Mo Alley Cox and Jack Doyle as run blockers. And when when they get not only are they good with their double teams, I thought the scheme in the run game was so diverse and guys, it was from drive one of the game. I remember watching this game and the first drive happened and I looked to my wife because she knew I was kind of geeked up for this game because I'm <laughs> I'm a believer in the Colts and I looked at her and I said, This one's over because you just saw the diversity in the run game using motion to take people out of the box and then slicing back to tight end and creating double teams or, you know, zone read and RPO plays at the same time when you took people away from the run game and your five offensive line are literally just blocking inside hips of people and just driving guys off the ball. The tight end wham plays where they had the tight end crack back across the line of scrimmage and the ball got snapped and they didn't tackle. You know, Scott, you know that. They didn't block the defensive. It's what you guys used to do with Gronk so many times against good defensive tackles. And um, I just thought the diversity of the run game. So we're talking about a team that's good at running the football, right? They have the human beings to do it. And then now we've got a coach that is schematically diverse and really knows how to attack defenses in the run game. You mentioned Kyle Shannon. I think he's the best thing in the NFL at that. And now Frank Reich is entering into that conversation. Um, Yeah, this this is a really good football team, and it's because of their run game. Also, Jonathan Taylor doesn't get tackled by the first human. He just doesn't. You know, And speed and power and vision and balance, he's got all those traits that great backs have. Um, yeah, the, the Colts run game was put on display on Sunday, and it was really impressive
3: to watch. Yeah, Colts and the Eagles, watching those two teams run the football right now, who knows what the potential is now that they've kind of found themselves offensively. And, and you know, Thanksgiving week, we have reached Thanksgiving week. We're going to touch on the Thanksgiving games when we come back, because we've got a few teams to talk about on Thanksgiving that could be either redefining their seasons or maybe saving their seasons. We'll talk about that when we come back on Tape
1: so visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to
3: hire. Thanksgiving week here on Tape Eds. Bob O'Shughes and Theonor Lovsky, Scott Pioli. We are back. And guys, look, I hopefully... Most people will be able to get their Thanksgiving meal on the table and out of the way early, so they are ready for Raiders, Cowboys, and Bill Saints. I don't know how many people are going to be watching Bears-Lions early. That is the, obviously with Detroit, the early noon kickoff for 1230 kickoff on the Thanksgiving Day slate. But let's get just some bullet points about these games from you guys, why you think these are so important, and Scott, surprisingly... You apparently have something to say about Bears-Lions, yeah, right? I'm so excited leave it off. about this game. I, I mean, it's... All right. <laughs> that's what makes this podcast this no. podcast, that you're excited about yeah, Bears-Lions. Yeah, because there's
5: a lot of intrigue here, right? The Lions have been close a number of times. I mean, heck, they even have a tie against the Pittsburgh Steelers. <laughs> They're close. They need to get off the schneid, as we say. And this Bears team is Jekyll and Hyde. We don't know what version we're going to get which week. And... This is going to be a very – because the Lions need to get a win, right? This is a team in their minds that they believe is probably beatable, and the, the Bears have shown themselves as being beatable. And they're up, they're down. It's a short week. Anything can happen. I don't know. I, I'm excited about this game. First of all, I love I, – I still call it, you know, the NFC Central. Um, it, it, it's hmm. – I'm excited about this game, and I really want to see – I think on the short week, I think Dan Campbell and his Lions, for some reason, are going to bring it this week.
4: Well, I would say this. I've played in this game so many different times. I've played in it when it didn't matter, technically. Unfortunately, it is still an awesome environment. I mean, Mm. that, that game matters to that fan base in Detroit, and everybody shows up for it, no matter the record. So... You know, I'm gonna watch it and Bob. I mean, there's gonna be twenty plus million people watching that. I don't, you know they they will. Yep. Um, it's what we do. Yeah, I'd say the intrigue, this is what I'd say. If if you want to watch two, these guys are going to be stars in the NFL soon. TJ Hawkinson and DeAndre Swift. Both of those players for Detroit are going to be stars. I think Detroit's offensive line is something that you get to watch against the good Bears defensive line. I think Andy Dalton is going to be the guy playing quarterback for the Chicago Bears Um, But I would be more, for a team that doesn't have a win, I'd be more intrigued but watching the the Lions offensive line play the way they play and those two young players for the Lions.
3: Well, let's get to game number two, because this might be of the three the most interesting, and that is a Raiders team that since the Henry Ruggs tragedy, boy, they look different offensively. Everything that the Raiders have been through this season, and now they go to Dallas— The other traditional spot on Thanksgiving, the Cowboys as the host team. Cowboys, of course, coming off of a blah performance um, the short week with their loss at Arrowhead. So who do we think this game is more important for? Is this a season saver potentially for the Raiders? I think think this is a huge game for the Dallas Cowboys. And,
4: you know, we got to put this in context as well. So the Cowboys, I guess, likely could be without Tyron Smith, Amari Cooper, and CeeDee Lamb again. you know. And this yep. is a pass rush unit for the Raiders that is still a good ru- unit with Ngakwe and Max Crosby. And they've struggled over the past couple weeks because of the, some of the people that they have lost for different reasons, right? So I, I still think for the Cowboys, you know, this is going to be very intriguing to sit back and go, okay, if those guys don't go play, you know, they gotta generate some offense. And this isn't, hey, are they gonna okay to win the suit? They gotta win the football game. Like they gotta win this game without those guys. And Tyron Smith, this team over the last three or four years is a wildly different team without Tyron Smith. So it'll be interesting if he plays. I do believe that they can have success running the football. They gotta push the ball to the perimeter against this Raiders defense. And it will be interested to interesting for me to watch how they match up with the the three tight end look from the Raiders. Because, you know, the Raiders have, have again, because of some of the people that are not there, I want to see if they'll put those three tight ends on the field and really challenge the secondary coverage-wise um, against the Cowboys. I, I think this is a really interesting game to watch coming off of the two-out-of-the-last-three-week performance from the Cowboys.
5: Yeah, and I really think that this— chaos, the season-long chaos that has been the Raiders, unfortunately, has caught up with them. And it it takes so much, you know, endurance, mental endurance and and mental strength to go through all of the things that they have gone through as a football team. You know, again, we we talked in an earlier segment about, you know, not getting ahead of ourselves too early in the season. I mean, Derek Carr at the early part of the season, everyone in the country was talking about him being an MVP, right? And he was going to be... And now it's it, it's like, Derek Carr, where have you gone? And that's not all just on Derek Carr's performance. That is the chaos that's surrounding the Raiders. Josh Jacobs, in his last five games, he's rushed for 37 yards, 16 yards, 76 yards, 29, and 53. That's not in a half. That's not in a quarter. That's in total games. This football team has changed before our eyes for a lot of reasons. And, it, you know, we talked earlier about the Cowboys and and, and what are they, who are they, when can – this is a game where they cannot afford to be inconsistent. The yeah. Dallas Cowboys that want to win the division, that want to go to the playoffs, that want to go deep into the playoffs, they need to start showing up in the final weekend of Thanksgiving or the, uh, November, I'm sorry.
3: And, and, guys, the last game, one of the – Really intriguing games, I think, this week because we just spent the last segment talking about the Eagles and the Colts just knocking their opponents over like bowling pins and running for 250 to 300 yards. Now the two teams that those teams beat respectively on a short week that just got mauled by those two respective running games play each other. So now in a short week, the Bills and Saints, after both getting knocked around this past Mm. Sunday, have to play each other at night. Is this a game where you just got two coaching staffs challenging their respective teams to go out there in a short week and just be the more physical team? I,
5: I, I think you've got two coaches that know how to be focused. And I think right now up in Buffalo, you've got a coach who's smart, intense, focused. And everyone's talking about the division. Oh, are we going to lose the division? Right now, Sean McDermott is saying to his guys, listen, we've skunked against the Jacksonville Jaguars in Jacksonville and then lost at home against the Colts. We need to beat the teams that we need to beat. Let's not even think about the Patriots because they're 11 days away after that game. Again, usually it's a 10-day wait after the Thursday night game, but they don't play again until the following Monday Against the Patriots. So he's telling his people, listen, we got four days to prepare for the Saints. That's all that matters right now. This is what we've got to go out and do. I think that a little bit of reality settled in. Um, This Bills team was anointed and they anointed themselves as to what they were going to be. I'm guilty as charged. I thought that they were going to be the best team in the division. I didn't think it was going to be this much of a fight. I thought the Patriots would come along, but that it would take a little bit of time but right now they're in a fight for their lives and they yeah. cannot afford to have anything uh, close to a slump right now this Thursday night.
4: Yeah, so the the Saints this past weekend played without so many starters. So again, you know, part of this conversation is who's playing for the Saints. Are both tackles in? Alvin Kamara going to be in? Going to be out? So that that the context of who's playing obviously always matters. The Bills are not going to become a more physically offensive or offensively physical team in 3 days, okay? And that's Kind of, Scott, I'm with you. Like, I really believed in this football team and the fact that they make, they willingly make themselves one dimensional. It's not even one dimensional. They make themselves half dimensional, you know, because they are only drop back football every, all the time. And as a defense, the Saints are going to know more often than not, okay, Josh Allen's going to be, it's almost like the Giants six, seven weeks ago. Hey, the quarterback's going to be six yards behind the center. Go you know and and i think that they've they've really got to address that and look at that cuz it's i don't believe that they're set up to beat good football teams that way they they could last year that that was last year not this year and i think that the saints defensively have the ability to be physical the difference it'd be interesting because you know philly when they ran the ball against the best run defense in football part of that was because how good the center was and the 11-on-11 11 11 run game Jeff of Jalen Hurts. Now, it'll be interesting to see if the Bills kind of deploy a little bit of that. They've done it in the past. They can do it with Josh. Um, so I, I think that Buffalo, for them to get a little bit of their run game going, they're going to have to utilize some of that just a little bit more. And, um, you know, defensively, they got to get back to, you know, kind of the, their identity I still think they're a really, really good football team, but this this will be a good test,
3: depending on who plays. And before we sign off on this Thanksgiving week episode, Scott, one more thing. You know,
5: Dan earlier talked about how he was a big part of the the, the Lions, the tradition of the Lions playing on Thanksgiving. But he's leaving out something even bigger. Dan, he, here's where the rubber meets the road. Mm. There's going to be the rumble, I'm the rumble in the valley. It happens every Thanksgiving <laughs> yeah. for I want to say for over 100 years. Dan, we've got. <laughs> Shelton High School and Derby High School, the Derby Red Raiders. I know my boys, Dan, Matt Skronsky, Frank Skronsky, Ronnie Andronowitz, a couple of Shelton guys just like yeah. you. What's going to go down this week on Thanksgiving with the Shelton Derby well, game?
4: Derby will get hammered like they normally do. <laughs> like they normally do. Fun, fun, Scott, fun, uh, not, not fun, but fun story from Thanksgiving. You know, so my high school Shelton, Scott's Derby. And they play each other every Thanksgiving morning. It's a big deal, you know. Oh, I'm not Derby.
5: I just know the all the crazy people from the valley, man. Oh, okay. So
4: <laughs> we play each other every Thanksgiving morning. It's a big deal. Like so many areas have high school football. I'm a sophomore, and I, I was the the starter for our sophomore team. We had a really good senior class. Um, again, this is like football is the only thing in the world that matters to me. It's everything. So that, that day it's pouring rain the night before Thanksgiving, pouring rain, pouring rain, Thanksgiving, it's pouring and we play the game because that's what should happen in football. You play. And they're doing, you know, almost like um, at a at an automobile garage. The the stuff that they throw down on the ground to soak up oil, they're putting that on the field. It's so wet. Long story short, we're a we are a. Um, I think we were at this point we were nine and two. We played twelve games. We were nine and two, and we were a really good team. If we win, and we were way better than Derby. If we win, we go to the state playoffs. We got a chance to win the whole thing. Long story short. Game is soaking wet. I fumbled a quarterback center exchange as a sophomore nine times in this football game. Mm. So we get the ball back. It's 7-7. We just have to win the game. We get the ball back. We go on this drive, four or five-minute drive. We get the ball to the one-yard line with like four seconds to go. We call timeout. We can't kick because it's high school. We're, we're, this is a mud pit right now. I fumble the snap. Last play of the game. We tie. This is
3: like all the right moves.
4: <laughs> we tie. We don't God. go to the playoffs because of that tie. Oh, happy wow. Thanksgiving,
3: man! Right. And happy I gotta bring
5: the reason I bring it up. So I, I grew up in New York, went to high school in New York, went to college went to in yeah. Connecticut. Yeah, and there were a bunch of guys I played ball with. You know, a bunch of Connecticut guys at, at Central Connecticut, and. Even the guys that weren't from the Valley talked about the three teams down there, Derby, Shelton, and Ansonia. But yeah. everyone talked about the Shelton Derby thing on Thanksgiving. Yeah, man. It was an event in the state. Big it deal. was yeah. crazy. That's awesome. and Connecticut is not a huge high school football hotbed. But is, I had to bring it up because it's it's something that everyone talks about in the state of Connecticut. And I am just a sucker and a sap for football history. It's a great it's fun, thing for football,
3: yeah. man. Yeah, bringing back good Dan Orlowski football memories <laughs> yeah. like that is always worth it on this <laughs> Sorry, podcast. Guys. Hey, hey, hey. No, when, when I won the county golf championship as a senior in high school, it was misting. I needed a second towel and some mittens. So I know exactly what you were going through. <laughs> Tough
4: guy. <laughs>
3: yeah, exactly. All right, we'll be back on Thanksgiving. We'll be talking about why teams relying on their backup quarterbacks. All of a sudden, they've found some ways to win. The Vikings finally living up to their potential. We'll see in an eight-win team that seems to be in trouble. All of that coming up on Thanksgiving later this week when the next episode drops. Join us then on Tape
0: You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring,